Dimitri, how are you doing? Well, not bad at all. Well, just got shitty laptop and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, You're after shelling out loads of dollars, right? You got a shitty laptop. Did you make that conscious, <laughs> conscious decision to buy a shitty laptop or was it predetermined? Well, I'm not sure, Larry, to be honest, because I, I, as far as I can recall, I, I was dreaming about this laptop in the past, so probably it was determined in a sense. So that's why I got it. But now I have some doubts whether it was the right decision. Welcome to episode number 185 of The LARB. I'm Larry G. McGuire. The topic for discussion this week is free will. Do we have free will? Can we sculpt the lives that we want? Can we, by virtue of our decisions, determine our own futures? Or are we restricted within a particular framework, this life that we live, society that we live in? Do others, in fact, have more of an influence over the direction of our lives than uh, our own conscious thought? Are we free to choose? Are we conscious agents of our own experience? Uh, the answer isn't um, very simple. In fact, uh, we kind we both kind of come to the conclusion at the end of this discussion that it's a little bit of both, that the answer is somewhere in between. It's like a wheel. Uh, as one, goes, one side goes up, the other side goes down. And that both the ability to choose our own direction and the influence of external forces, etc., on our direction arise mutually, perhaps. See what you think. Uh, myself and Dimitri get into this discussion and uh, talk about a couple of experiments um, uh, that have happened over the last 20 years or so, maybe some of the more well-known philosophical ideas around free will and determinism. The audio quality is probably not 100% in this recording, we did it in a study room in DBS, which wasn't um, great for audio, but however, it's okay, and uh, I tidied it up a little bit. Um, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you have any comments or otherwise to make, feel free to get over and visit the show on anchor.fm forward slash the larb, and you can actually call in and leave your comments, and I can publish them in future episodes or in response to uh, to this particular episode. So uh, hopefully see you over there. Otherwise, uh, you'll get the show on iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts are played. Uh, and I should also add that if you like what you listen to, if you enjoy the material that I create here, please consider becoming a patron of the show. Keep ads off the show. Help me create more time to, to make more stuff like this. And uh, you can become a patron for from as little as a dollar a month. Patreon.com forward slash Larry G. McGuire to support the show. So enjoy this little piece of audio and I'll see you on the other side. All right. So I wanted to talk to you about this whole idea of, of us being uh, conscious agents, you know, yeah. makers of our own lives. Or, or are we just observers of this whole thing kind of happening out beyond the earth? waking consciousness right maybe this maybe this whole idea of of free will or determinism comes from a, a religious basis or an idea in, in, a, in, a, in an omnipotent god or something i don't know but what what's going on with this question what what, what do you think well this question is pretty old as if as you know it dates back to the ancient times and uh, it's still unsettled and I think we are in no position today to... No further, no further along, despite yeah. all these clever people. Yeah, yeah, so we can just shed a light on what's going on and um, between among the scholars, uh, what argument they have on those questions and seeing who people who would listen to us, who will listen to us, probably decide for themselves. What so, so what do you think then? Are you, like, let's talk about it in real terms, you and me, yeah. right? There's a linear passage there. We have to come in. We have to plan our days, our weeks. There's this normal everyday life that's going on. Yeah. Are we really to believe that that's just all an illusion? Yeah, well, uh, I think in, in scientific field, uh, most will say, most scientists will, would say that, no, I think there will be no free will and everything is determined. And that's how science works. We're looking for causality, some events causing other events. Mm. So, but... 
there is also hope that some philosophers, if you will, well, they try to protect this whole notion of free will. And uh, the most famous probably was uh, Thomas Reid in uh, 18th century, who he, there was an idea at the time that we are all a collection of bundle, a collection of uh, senses, you know, mm. those perceptions and all those thoughts, like and nothing else. You know, and there is no self. Like probably there's something which is uh, akin to Buddhism, probably. So what am I then? What's this thing so I can't be? You're just bundle of emotions, if you will. So right, nothing else. So and they pretty much hold on to the determinist point of view. Uh, but this guy, Thomas Reid, he says, no, I, I'm not buying it. Like, I have experiences, I feel that there is some self, some ideas, some agent who, who have the senses, mm. who have these emotions. So when he, this self, he takes actions and takes the decisions and he decides what to do. And yeah. it's not determined in any sense. So he, it was classical agent causation uh, hypothesis. And, uh, Did he have anything to say about when that entity comes into being? Because he said it's pure experiential. Like we, we all feel like we have the self, so we can't yeah. deny it. So it should exist then. So what about when I'm like three months old or two months old? Well, that's already a deeper question. Like, and it comes uh, comes up to the question of identity and all this. And it's actually an even broader question. <laughs> I hope we spend a lot of time just trying to answer that question as well, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep you here all day. <laughs> so yeah, but his basic point of yeah, there is a self and uh, we, this self can actually make choices. So um, he didn't buy the idea of determinism. Actually, the, the other guy, our contemporary in 20th century, uh, Charles Campbell said, well, he allows some kind of determinism. Uh, and he said that, yeah, of course, we have experience, past experience, and probably it influences us and our genes, our parents, how they nurtured us. But still, we can, we have this ability to do otherwise. So mm-hmm. if you, for example, want a cup of coffee, so yeah. you, you, your self, it can decide that I, I don't want this cup of coffee. So and that's what he considered free will. So, so let me um, get into that aspect of it a little bit some experiments have shown that my awareness of the decision only comes like a half a second or whatever it is yeah, yeah. after the cognition or after the whatever chemical reaction in my brain or electrochemical reaction in my brain yeah. so maybe I didn't maybe I'm not making that decision maybe there's something underlies that and my awareness of the decision is what I think is me as a conscious free agent you know yeah so I think you are talking about this famous limit experiment, like uh, where the where they measure brain activity. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you recall like what it was about uh, this whole? Um, I I I heard a little bit about. I don't know. I remember there was a. I think uh, for sure they connected the EEG. When was this? This was nineteen fifties or sixties, was it? Maybe seventies, eighties, I guess. Okay, I'm not current. Yeah, but the whole idea about the people. They knew before that there is one area in the brain which is uh, they called uh, uh, activity in that area readiness potential. Oh yes. So yeah. it seems like it's it's uh, it is activated just some hundred milliseconds before a conscious decision mm. making. Well, if you can call it decision making, of course, as this experiment shows. So, but the idea was pretty simple. Uh, subjects uh, they were connected to EEG, so mm. as to scan their brain activity. Meanwhile, they were asked to look at the clock, and there was dot revolving clockwise on these clocks, and they should just, at any time they want, fleece their wrist. Uh, wrist sorry. Wasn't it, a, uh, was it on a keyboard and computer? They no, they just, uh, there, there was a, another device connected to the okay, muscle right, just, yeah, just yeah. beside the wrist. So right. whenever they flex the wrist, uh, the data was written, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, but more importantly, they should uh, remember when the when they flex uh, flex their wrist where the dot was on the clocks. Okay. So on later reported. So when, what this experiment showed that uh, actually unconscious decision, the urge, the readiness potential was triggered like just five hundred milliseconds before the actual. Uh, mm. Wrist flexing. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Mm. And uh, actually, 
they reported the conscious feeling um, to flex the wrist just probably around 200 milliseconds before the yeah. flexing. I mean, it's, I suppose it does, if it, it does take time for messages to transmit, yeah, yeah. you know, around our body or whatever. But this this whole idea of um, uh, of a linear passage of events that I did this and it made this happen and subsequently this happened and then this happened. We seem to have this picture of our existence along this line, yeah. certainly in Western industrialized cultures, that it was born here, I'll, I'll die here and this is my life along this kind of linear thing. Um, Personally, I can't. I, I'm, I'm having great difficulty, or at least I have in the last few years, in actually buying into that. Mm-hmm. That um, it seems more to me that uh, there are no separate events. That what we perceive as causality is merely our way of stringing together life experiences, uh, and what's really going on is just a single event. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, that causality is all, all just probably, probably the causality is our illusion, if you will. Like, mm. Yeah, we see one event happens after another event, and then our brain just integrates the whole information into one piece. Mm. But you know, this idea is not new, actually. As I mentioned before, the, the Thomas Reid, who came up with this idea of agent causation and free will, the whole notion of free will, he said that actually our experience, that we experience, that we are causing decision, actually, Lies in the lies in the idea of determinism because uh, if we cause a decision, that means everything is caused. So, so yeah. the, the, he meant what, what he meant by that that actually the idea of determinism comes next, like it was later invented mm-hmm. than the free will itself. Like right. Free will. And it seems like that David Hume, the famous Scottish philosopher, has also agreed with that, and because he always said that when I know. He was experiential experientialist, so he yeah. said that the only knowledge we can have is from our experience. Mm-hmm. So he said that there is no way we can experience causality. All we experience is just yeah. one event yeah. happen after another, <clears throat> and that's what we see. And our brain, just our imagination, just combine these pieces mm-hmm. and comes up with causality. So and he called it just not causality but constant conjunction. So one event happens after another. That's it. So yeah, I can buy into that. And there's also when you look at more recent uh, evidence, psychological studies have shown that this whole idea of memory being uh, a, 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 like a video reel replaying actual events is not entirely true. Yeah, that we're open to influence, etc. Yeah, by others, by by. Um, by our own perceptions and our own emotional states at any particular time, our ideas of the past, of these past events that seemingly came about because of other events are just a construct that we create right now. Yeah. They're not completely uh, fabricated, I suppose, but yeah. they are in a sense. Because if you think, if you, if you buy into this idea that all there is is right now, yeah. that this is all we have, um, that this current experience is the only experience we can ever have mm. that when we think about the past we're doing it now yeah for sure that there is no past yeah. that it's just a memory stamp or it's some kind of I don't know recollection I mean the pictures are not in my brain uh, neuroscience hasn't found where the pictures are do you know yeah, when I, I remember I stuff so, yeah, because even myself I was thinking about because it seems to me like we are probably not recalling some stuff but we are just imagining about the past events or something like this because there is a no single memory like which is precise precise memory precise recollection or something it's just reconstruction reconstruction by our imagination of past events probably they're pretty close to reality but they're just imagination our imagination Mm. the same is about the future but more based on experience, of course, but most of the time I for, forget about this stuff. So they're just pure reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Like um, hard science would suggest that causality is actual. You know, yeah. I get, take a pool cue, I hit a ball, it yeah. travels down the table and it hits another ball. Yeah. There you are, right? Yeah, exactly. And the ball went in the pocket, there is causality. Yeah. So um, is it fair to, I don't think it is, to take that kind of analogy? And apply it to everyday life and to human experience. Well, I, I would say it's uh, it's pretty handy at the moment. So 
we come up with some discoveries and all that, but as even great German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said that science is only just one perspective, so we shouldn't take it for granted. Mm. So in no sense, it's just the only truth, probably. So he said the truth is in the eye of the beholder. So yeah, it's kind of become a, uh, almost a religion for, for some people. Yeah. And that's when it becomes dangerous, dogmatic and insistent that yeah. uh, it's, it's, you know, what scientific experiment produces is, is yeah. how the world is. And it's not necessarily so because, we, as you know, we always have outliers. Yeah. And exactly. by, by virtue of outliers, it proves to us that well, we're not entirely yeah. sure what's going on here. Yeah. It's like, um, I'm reminded like when I was a kid, you know, you'd be you'd be in religion class. I don't know in Russia what yeah, kind of religious pigeon you Sunday had. Sunday school for court, <laughs> like every Sunday. You should we had religion class in school, you know, religion teachers used to come in and they teach us the, the catechism and the Bible and stuff like that. And as I became older, I, I began to ask myself, well, hold on. And it's a typical child question. Um, my six-year-old asked me yeah. this uh, this very question the other day, right? She said, uh, Dad, uh, how did the first person arrive? Uh, who made the first person? <laughs> well, that's just a brilliant question, right? And it's busy hard, I wouldn't have I'm like, I'm like, Darren, I, I really don't know. I can't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> I know parents are supposed to know everything, but... Uh, and she was sitting on the couch with her, with her hand on her chin. And she said, Dad, who made the first person? And I was kind of, what? Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, it reminded me of when I was a kid, and it was like, you're driving along in the car with your parents, and you're thinking to yourself, well, if God made us, if there is this God who made us, and we're here to do its will, or his, who made God, you know? Yeah. So, even from an early age, children um, understand that maybe cause and effect is not accurate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That smacking a billiard ball on a pool, on a pool table or a pool, pool ball doesn't is not applicable to human experience. It's not the same thing. Well, I, I would agree probably on that. That probably children see something with pure pure vision because uh, you know, like when we grow up, we there is a lot of rules like social rules and laws on us, so we start to see everything already in just framed framed. Fr- Framed worldview or something like that. It's and it's created by society most of the time. So probably when children are too young, so they just don't have it yet. Mm. So they can see everything just clearly. Yeah. But of course they can articulate this one. <laughs> That's unfortunate. But probably there is into it something. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, we got onto this subject of free will versus determinism about a year ago, didn't we? Um, yeah. When, uh, First year of our study in college. First or second year. Yeah. Um, you put me onto a movie, uh, Arrival. Oh, Arrival is a brilliant one. Yeah, yeah what, what, for anyone who hasn't seen that movie, what, are we, what, what is it about? Well, actually, the plot is pretty simple. The aliens arrived, uh, no fuss, nothing quietly, just part above the Earth, just a few meters above the Earth. Well, not the Earth, but the soil, uh, the ground. Uh, so and then the few like two scientists uh, came into contact with them and started learning their language. And it, the two two ideas actually intertwined there. That's all the idea of the determinism actually and the idea of how language frames our thoughts. And uh, both are beautifully depicted in this movie. Actually, I was mm. amazed. Like I even read the novel <laughs> the next day. It's also brilliant. So and yeah, they show like during the the progress of the movie as soon as uh, the main uh, character of, uh, of Amy Adams yeah. she was uh, learning uh, the language uh, of aliens and she started she was able she became able to see the future yeah. actually because she started to think differently about yeah. the time so, so there you are right that they tackled this idea that time was malleable yeah. that it wasn't fixed and linear yeah. it was movable and you could move with it in and out of yeah um, but she had so uh, she kind of fall out of the linear time frame and she was able to see the whole life just at a single moment of the world yeah and uh, well, well the funny thing which is which related to this topic is that after she she saw this future she couldn't do otherwise actually so she, determined she was determined like yes. to rule this path 
because it was optimal optimal way. And that's funny because in the movie they didn't mention uh, that actually the physicist who were, was working with her, uh, he came up with a different conclusion as well because uh, it, it, it all tied up, uh, was tied up to the physics and famous refraction uh, law, refraction of the light in the water in this particular scenario. And you know that it was uh, uh, you can correct me, but I think it's Fermi law of least time. It called so. Okay. Uh, the light goes from point A to point B. Yeah. So, and it always chooses optimal time to reach the to reach the point B. Mm. So that means he knows where the point B already. So he means he knows the future in a sense. Yeah. So and that's why he he, he the light got fractured in the water because. He knows that the optimal way, the fastest way to go to the point B, if you look into the future, it will take you will that find out this, the density of the water and stuff. It will take this particular path, and it will be optimal. So, and we, as this movie show, always choose an optimal pathway yeah. as, as well. Yeah, like um, you could say, from you know looking at someone's behavior, yeah. like on, uh, let's say take an extreme example. Uh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> right, um, and I don't know how to break out of my alcoholism. It's easy for me to continue with the behavior because it's been established for so long, um, and I'm, my brain is really wired yeah. to go to the bar and drink for as long as I can. Yeah. And it's even though I know it's killing me, I can't stop because I've basically built myself, or maybe life experiences have uh, pushed me towards particular direction in my experiences and I can't get out of them yeah. because of that yeah. uh, need for the brain to to work um, optimally I don't know maybe that's a silly example no it's, it's a great example actually because it falls under the category of the so-called compatibilism and they actually offered the same example as you do you did um, so What's the story is like uh, they were looking like how to combine determinism and free will. So can this two be actually not just separate things, like, but two ends together? Yeah. So for example, you you admit some extent, some kind of determinism, but also have free will. You can decide. You have your own decision. And what they come up with, uh, as you said, like for example, you have desire to to smoke. And then you have this desire to quit or not to quit smoke. And that one guy whose name was Harry Frankfurt, he told, that is free will. So if you, it doesn't mean matter what you decide. You have this kind of thought in your head mm. that you want to quit or not quit smoking. So you have desire about your desire. He called it second order desire. Okay. And that's actually proof that we have free will in a sense. Okay. We can, because like the, it was built on, um, built on the classical compatibilism when they say like, prior like all our past events eventually influence us but at this moment if we don't have external constraints we can decide whatever we want to do but they say like listen wait a minute what about animals they don't have external uh, constraints like do they have free will then eventually well apparently not but and then Henry Farquhar said yeah yeah, but animals do not have second order desires they don't just think about they are wanting to hunt or something like that, you know? Maybe they don't have... Of course we don't know in the first place. Well, we don't know, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so hence I use the word maybe. Um, maybe they are undisrupted. Yeah. Their behavior is undisrupted by doubt, yeah. fear, anxiety, and that they are pure, purely automatic. Yeah. And moving along those optimal lines yeah, exactly. within the framework of what they are, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a dog, right? I have a dog at home. It's a lurcher. Uh, she's, uh, you could say, right, okay, this is where behaviorism comes into it. She's been programmed by, we got her, she's a rescue dog. And she spent a lot of time out in the open with no shelter. Yeah. And now when it rains, she, she leaves her house and sits on the back step in the rain, right? Yeah. That maybe her experiences have, have built her that way, or she's been built that way, subject to her experiences. But um, 
if she was to act normally, like when you bring her out to a field, she just runs yeah. because she's a she's a hunting dog. Yeah. She just runs and she chases squirrels and birds and stuff like that. And there's nothing to disrupt. Yeah. There's no. Mm, I wonder will all the other dogs think I'm a yeah. fucking show off here. Yeah. If I go, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think exactly. But you and I have that question of okay, well, maybe how our society is built. I wonder should I do this. Because it's not supposed to be done. Mm. Even even something as simple as walking across the street. Yeah. And that if we could move from those, what maybe, what, what the chap you referenced there, those first order desires and just do what we feel like we're going yeah. to do, maybe there'd be mayhem, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But uh, I think the dip, for me, the difference between human beings and animals is that, hold on a minute, it's that question, you know, what comes into your head, hang on, should I be doing this? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you see, even this uh, Libet experiment we talked about before, uh, it has some objection. Even himself, the, the, the Libet himself, uh, mm. he, made, he conducted the second part of the experiment where he shows that, showed that, well, we probably don't have uh, ability to decide to make a decision, but we have ability to deny, to cancel the okay. Libet. So. Mm. And in his second experiment, he asked actually participants to as soon as they have this intention to flex their wrist so just to cancel it and he said that yeah actually everything is okay it was okay in this experiment that they have ability to cancel out in do not wrist do not flex the wrist so he said probably we don't have free will but we have free want as he said okay yeah so and there was another actually philosopher who agreed on that one and but he said that leave it confuse the concept concepts in his article at all and he just didn't make a distinct he didn't distinguish two things like urge and intention so he said what readiness potential actually show is just urge that wish but you can have urge like to do have stuff or not to do stuff but intention can be only one so you can only intend to do this particular stuff you don't have two options you already intended to do this one stuff. Is it's that a, automatic? Is, do you know what I mean? It's like almost spontaneous. Well, well, I guess, well, I guess yeah. But what he's claiming here that in, in, in experiment of Libet, that urge it was unconscious. So, but then where two hundred milliseconds before, where you consciously decided to flex your wrist, it was intention. So you choose. You, mm-hmm. You've chosen already one of the intention you could possibly cho- have chosen. So. And uh, as he said, the second part of the experiment showed exactly the same. They, they, they could cancel out this, this action. So actually, they chose the different intention, actually, not mm. to do this. So and what he states, actually, that limit experiment doesn't show, actually, that free will did not exist. What he showed, that you have urge to do something, but then it probably goes long before the consciousness, of course, but then you consciously decide to do this or not, yeah. actually. <laughs> So that's the point. I've been reading a little bit. Uh, I find it quicker that if I have the book and I stick the earphones on, yeah. I can increase the speed of the audio book, right? When I'm listening to it. Okay. And or I can get read through a book much quicker. Yeah. Uh, having both of them together seems to kind of, I don't know, it works for me. Anyway, I was reading um, Influence by um, Robert Cialdini. Uh, yeah. Have you heard of it? Yeah. It's a... Uh, Marketers, marketers love it, right? Business people love it because mm. now they have a, a systematic approach to manipulate it's people, you know? <laughs> Fuckers, you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, I, don't, I, I don't know or I haven't really decided what his motivation was uh, in writing this book. Maybe it was to appeal to both parties. He puts it in the framework of, you know, here's how not to be manipulated, you know? Yeah. But really, maybe he wrote it for business people. Sure. Looks like it. Yeah, it does to me. Anyway, it's very interesting. Um, insofar as uh, all the material in it and, and the studies that he ran uh, showed that people on on um, on a commercial level make decisions based on emotion and almost unaware to yeah. themselves that they're doing it. You know, like uh, they're particularly open to certain persuasive. Uh, tactics yeah. and uh, that would lead me to to conclude that in certain respects um, 
our lives are determined, you know, by other people, yeah. by governments, corporations, yeah. uh, social media giants, yeah. technology uh, creators, um, all of these organizations who want to get what they want. Yeah. They're, they're chasing a dollar, right? Yeah. Um, know how to manipulate you and me. Yeah. And we just go along like stupid sheep exactly. over the edge of the cliff. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was actually thinking recently uh, myself because, uh, and probably that's the reason why I want to quit psychology as well because uh, every single famous study and contribution to the so called science they got used by the corporations and all that stuff just to make money on people. So, exactly about this uh, book you mentioned before about the persuasion. Like my, my friends even ask me myself, like, you study psychology, you should know how to manipulate the people. I said, well, mm. I'm not interested even in that. Yeah. Because I, that's not the point. Like I want to understand, to get deeper to the truth, you know, get mm. the knowledge of some uh, fundamental stuff. And, well, most of the people use it just on their own. Yeah. And um, economists know this. Um, I, I sometimes wonder is it is it a conscious decision on the part of governments and people that we we put in charge to administer our society? Uh, is it a conscious conscious decision on their part to ignore how to help people improve their lives by giving them the right information and basically adopt what economists tell them, which is really a manipulation of populations of people. Well, I think, in a sense, they are determined as well. They got used to this life and their past influenced them. So mm. they can't do otherwise. So they, they, their actions are determined, if you take a deterministic point of view, in this sense. Well, because like, if, you have, if, you, if they would actually exercise free will, I, I don't think that some reasonable human being would mm. use other people, you know, and so global, you know, on a global scale. No, when it comes down to me and you, I, like, um, when I, if I'm out to manipulate you, if I, if I got something to sell and I want you to buy it, I know you've got a grand in your pocket yeah. and uh, I know how to find out if you're willing to give me that grand, right? And I have all these tactics in my pocket to relieve you of that thousand euro. Yeah. And, um, if I do that, if I pursue that line, well, then I'm not being a human being, as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, I'm not interested in you as you are. I'm interested in you as someone yeah. who can lie in my pocket, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, okay, it goes on everywhere. But maybe people need to be a little bit wiser uh, about their own behavior um, and how they, what triggers them, you know? Yeah, yeah, well... The like I'm not when I say that it's, it, it sounds like as if um, I've got it all figured out I mean if I'm driving down the road right I'm driving down the road and, and if a learner driver is in front of me and I'm going from one job to the next and I'm on the clock right yeah. I'm going come on right so if I was all zen and all I'd, I'd just let that pass over me and I'd just get on with it and some days I do but some days I don't you know yeah. insofar as that I do have a choice but then again I don't have a choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It just comes up uh, to the idea of this rules, you know, as, as far as people have less options, they feel happier, actually, you mm. know, and a couple of experiments yeah. shows that, actually. So, basically, and take a look, uh, the rules around, like, the laws, they are so strict now, they, they just press the human beings push them to the corner mm. and, and people feel happy you know that they don't they don't want to decide for themselves they they just follow the rules and and they are fine with it yeah. because if you just remove this rules they don't know what to do with this freedom you know? mm. that's that's my vision yeah you're i think you're probably right um william blake said yeah. uh, or some variant of this the fool and his folly will eventually become wise you know yeah. so it's essential i mean it's unavoidable i suppose mm. Um, that we have to be stupid and make mistakes on a on a global scale, almost to wipe ourselves out in order to realize, well, hey, listen, we can do better with that. You know, yeah. even if you want to look at it at a, a micro level, if you're starting a business, yeah. you're not going to start a business and be successful tomorrow. Yeah. It's going to take time for you to figure it out. You're going to make mistakes along the way. So maybe as a society, we need to be determined 
by the few. And I do think that's essentially what's going well, on. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Even, you know, like uh, Plato said once in his Republic, I guess, so he, he came up with this idea of perfect society. And he said, like, there should be few minority probably philosophers he said of course he was privileged as he was himself philosopher mm. to say that they should rule the world and then it should be class of guardians soldiers and then the herd the slaves basically who do the stuff and mm. they just follow the rules actually and that what actually happens in distorted probably sense nowadays mm. you know, but then you see like in contrast to this idea that we're pushed around and our, our lives are shaped by by certain parties or quarters of society, all of a sudden you see this almost quantum shift, right? Or, or spontaneous combustion of ideas or yeah. an idea, you know, that finally there's a, this groundswell of opinion of from the herd yeah. that changes everything, you know? Yeah. But, but that's interesting because uh, I don't think like, uh, we, this herd affects anything, you know, influence anything. Well, of course, if you take minorities and women's movement, they have some kind of power and made some uh, changes in societies. But I mean, overall, the picture, like the herd does not decide anything, in my opinion, because yeah. in the same book, Republic, uh, Plato said that if you give too much freedom to the just people, to the herd, it will lead you to the anarchy and then it will lead you to the dictatorship, you know. Mm. And that what happened in Soviet, you know, mm. like in the beginning of the 20th century, people got more freedom than they could allow them. They knew what to do with it. Yeah. yeah, they didn't know what to do with it. And we got Stalin, that's the perfect yeah. example. So, uh, but isn't that like, and um, you create a vacuum, there's a, another idea that nature abhors a vacuum, that when you take out the establishment, you could, you could say the same in Ireland, right? Mm. The, the, the British were ousted, we got we got independence in 1921 from the British. Yeah. Uh, well, a kind of kind of a Moria, uh, kind of half independence, you know. But anyway, we got independence, and all of a sudden the Brits were gone, and there was a vacuum. And then the church, I, it's the way I see it, the church filled the vacuum. They ruled the institutions. They ran the hospitals, the schooling. The they influenced political decisions. They basically ruled the country in the absence of the Brits, and we had then this enormous trauma that came about as a result, you know, um, and that really, maybe it's human nature to be pushed around. Maybe we need to be directed, like you said, well, we need the rules, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, it is, but I think that's actually interesting that we were talking about, mentioned the church and religion a couple of times, because the church itself not withstand the arguments of, from philosophers, actually, the whole notion of religion. Even one famous philosopher, uh, Zoran Kinkegaard, told once that you, you can't understand religion. Well, you will not believe into something, into God, if you just apply reason, pure reason to it, because it will be ridiculous. So all you need is just faith, pure yeah, faith. Yeah. So, and faith is ignorance, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, and <clears throat> what was, there have been few attacks even on free will, if it if religion can confine this, the notion of free will in itself and it turns out that, that it's not because the, they took all this position that the God is uh, all powerful and knowing and all that stuff so, and it, it goes it follows that if he all knowing then he knows what happened in the future so basically all our action already determined to go to the one conclusion nothing else so the religion actually then Probably not all of variation of religion, uh, but they deny free will. So they give no option to the people, actually. And again, we go back to our previous conversation that they, if they don't have free will, they can't make choices. They determine to do what they do. Mm. So the whole religion already grow, grew a seed in our minds of just follow and don't do have choice, actually. Don't yeah. have choice, actually. Yeah. That's what actually the conclusion so imagine imagine tomorrow for some strange reason occurrence uh, universal catastrophe or whatever the whole world woke up and everybody realized that uh, we didn't have to follow and do what we were told and wait for green lights or red lights to stop and go and, <laughs> and uh, you know well we're not going to church anymore it's like 30% of the Irish population are not going to church it used to be 80% mm. 
society would disintegrate as we know it would fall apart mm. if you were to take the extreme view uh, but then again my own contention is that how society is currently constructed eventually will fall apart yeah. because it has to well yeah, yes probably not no because of course we will evolve into something else for sure in the future but the point is like there's this notion in this whole lifestyle it's so already you know like entrenched in our lifestyle so we just can't make a step aside you know and just it's mm. already like a habit we got used to it so it's will be pretty difficult to get rid of this whole notions mm. and to get this vision of new society and, you know especially for us probably for the kids yes but still I don't think it's possible to preconceive it mm. you know I think it has to grow organically I think mm. like it has done but only it's like the organism it's like a gestalt entity and that it inherently knows what direction to go in mm. and once it messes up or once uh, its development is not optimal for the growth of the of the this not only the species of human being but I mean the planet as an mm. organism that it will shift in another direction um, uh, and it'll do it itself uh, without our preconceived ideas because we can have all these grand notions about how to construct a perfect society, but they don't work. Yeah. They ultimately fail, you know. Well, but I think there is uh, also influence of this minority, you know, rich minority who just don't let it happen, you know. Mm. Probably that's the reason. They, they just look and decide like if, if they apply it or not. And if something goes apart in their decisions or their ideas of the perfect futures, they will just not let it yeah. go through. So to wrap it up, do we have free will? Is free will an illusion? Are our lives determined by external forces that we can't do anything about, at least on an individual level? Or like, what's going on, in your opinion? Well, well from my opinion, like I'd say I, I would probably take the middle point still until it's unsettled. <laughs> ah, come on, you get off the fence. <laughs> no, I'd say this. Uh, I believe that's. Uh, where I am now is it's determined to some extent. So decision I'm, I make probably I have feel I I feel this agency in me like saying me that I'm doing this decision, but probably it's just complex calculation of my brain. Though I also also want to say that if determinists say it says that only our past events causes some events in the future, I would say that future events affect us even our imagination plays a role in this so we create mm. some situation inside our brain so well to say it probably would be crude to say that they determine stuff but they influence it for sure so mm. so i would go for the we do have our choice mm. in the end so and i don't want to take any, any side determinants of free will but something telling me that we do have this possibility to make our choice. Mm. I my my view is kind of it's somewhat similar. Uh, I don't I'm not staunch believer in either. Mm. Um, I used to be absolutely certain that I had free will, mm-hmm. you know. But then when we began to look into it, mm-hmm. uh, twelve months or eighteen months ago, I changed my mind, and then I was kind of well. Um, actually, I became a determinist for a short period, even if it was only for a couple of weeks, but. What I've come to the conclusion about this whole question is that um, there's momentum in thought and behavior. And behavior influences thought and thought influences behavior. And it all happens now. And momentum happens now like sound, you know, like the pulsation of sound from from an audio device. It starts at some center and pulses outwards and that's what my life is mm. 360 degrees extending beyond my skin as you go beyond my skin as I as whatever it is that goes beyond my skin it's less and less of an influence I've more of an influence the closer to me that your perspective goes um, I can switch off I've learned how to switch off which is good 
But I know that if I get into a pattern of thought, that it's very difficult to switch that off. Yeah. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's more like uh, it's more like applying the brakes to a car that you need to slow it down. So what I've learned is that over the last forty something years is that if I don't like what I see, if I don't like what I'm experiencing, that I've got to slow it down first to a stop and then start something new. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's inside my skull. You know when you think when you think about stuff, you think that you're thinking inside your own yeah. skull, but maybe you're not. And it seems that way, but maybe that's not what's going on. Um, so whatever I am, I haven't figured it out yet. Probably never figure it out. But um, I'm both influenced by stuff that goes on out there to the degree to which I'm open to it. Yeah. In other words, the thoughts that I hold in my own mind. So it's a bit of both, you know. Yeah. But it's all happening now. I don't buy into this whole concept of linear existence from point A to point B. It's all happening now, and whatever this physical entity is that that I occupy, uh, it will disintegrate someday, and whatever I am will still be. That's what I think. Ah, yeah. The the point uh, is that probably one day we will come up with some certain conclusion about this whole debate. Uh, but I think, as uh, many physicists have, and uh, that we need just to improve. Probably we don't have this cognitive abilities at this at this time to. Find see, out some yeah. deeper truth about reality, the nature of reality, and especially the language doesn't help at all because it's, it's very limited. Very limited, yeah. <laughs> and uh, even um, the book you advised me of the Heisenberg, yeah, he himself uh, is saying that uh, well, you can't explain this physics like even quantum physics in terms of just usual language, yeah. So. You, you you only can explain in terms of formulas, mathematical formulas. Even ma- even for mathematical yeah, formulas yeah, don't yeah, get to it. Yeah, but they yeah. a little bit deeper than language at mm. least. But, but yeah, so I think it will take time. I don't know how many, probably thousands of years. Yeah, and maybe we'll never get there. You know what I mean? But all we can do is just think about stuff like this and uh, just improve our knowledge. And uh, most of the thinkers, you know, they that were living kind of ascetic life. You know, they were just hermits somewhere in the outskirts of the towns and some some of them in the woods so in, uh, even this uh, philosopher Henry David Thoreau he said that you need to get away from get the away. people from, from the crowd you know because you, you when you're alone you're thinking that you're just so pure you think in such a brilliant noble thoughts but when you get into the society you just started to get influenced by these people but maybe maybe what what Maybe that's too scary, and that's maybe why people are so absorbed by technology yeah, and right, by TVs yeah, and phones. Yeah. Is because to be alone, to know, to get a deeper sense of who and what you yeah. are, is yeah. just too scary. Because I know myself by virtue of society. This is how I, yeah. this is how I realize myself is only through interaction with you, interaction with Facebook, yeah, Instagram. I call it the Instagram generation, right? It's about 10 it years old. It's a proper name for um, And uh, it's, I think it's ultimately disruptive because we never really get... I mean, we never get right to the core of what we are, but I know when I'm on my own, yes. I get closer than I can ever be when I'm out there. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, I know. I, I already told you before that I start to practice this digital minimalism, so mm. deleted all the Facebook apps and all the Instagram. Good enough. From the phone and uh, yeah, selling my desktop PC, not playing anymore. So spending more time reading, writing, now. and uh, and I came back to the words of Jonathan. Remember the first year he said that probably in the future with technology developing so fast, only social skills will be valuable because people just forget how to yeah converse, to interact, chat, how to interact. Yeah. So who did I hear recently? Uh, someone said they were on a bus and there was someone texting. Text and text and text, heading the phone the whole time. And then a couple of stops later, they turned around to the person behind them on the bus. Why are you not answering my messages? Really? <laughs> it's already extreme form. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, it's, I think it's indicative of what we're dealing with. You know? Listen, really good discussion. We could go on all day yeah, with sure. this. Um, thanks for your time today. We might do thanks this again. Uh, Alan, what's... Uh, the philosopher passed away around nineteen early nineteen seventies. Uh, used to put it this way: 
um, in talking about free will and determinism. Do you do it or does it do you? And uh, it seems that, for me at least now, that it's a bit of both. Um, that we affect change and change affects us. And that if you if you want to kind of pinpoint yourself and say, that's me over there, that's what I am, or this is what I am. Well, you can never do it absolutely because the minute you say it, it's changed. And you'll never really get to it, you know. And the whole meaning and purpose of life is chasing this ideal notion of ourselves um, that we never actually get to. And you could say that whatever I am, whatever you are, is merely the perception of this thing going on. And uh, that's not to take a defeatist, kind of fatalist view of life. Um, More so, it's a being... it's it's a case of being free of the need for it to be a particular way, uh, and I think that uh, that's good for your mental health, you know, um, because society tells us in all kinds of manner and means that our lives must must look like this, and in order to be successful, happy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that we must achieve particular uh, aims that in a large sense are determined by other people, you know. And uh, I think to truly know yourself and to truly direct your own experience uh, is ultimately impossible. And what's going on here is just a game. So best to just chill out and enjoy it as best we can. It's never going to be all sunshine and roses. How could it be? You know, we need that contrast. And I think that free will and determinism uh, presents... The idea of free will or determinism presents that contrast, the the constant playing of the black and white, you know. So that's it for this week, and I want to thank you for, for joining myself and Dimitri in the discussion. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We're going to uh, come back again soon for another discussion on the nature of time, which is a very interesting subject to me, something that I've been interested in for a very long time. And uh, we'll see what we can, we can throw up in that regard. Finally, uh, to reiterate what I mentioned at the top of the show, if you like this podcast, if you like what I'm making, uh, check out the previous 184 episodes and uh, please consider becoming a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you can support the work that I'm doing, uh, help me create more time to make more stuff like this, keep adverts off the show, etc. And I'd be greatly appreciative of that. So until the next time, uh, I shall see you. Take it easy and have a good one.